Good morning. We are glad you are here, whether you're here in person or listening on KFUO. We're happy to have you as we continue our study of Ephesians. This week, we're going to talk about a very important section, and that is Ephesians 5, uh, the last part of the chapter, verses 21 to uh, the end of the chapter. And um, a, a much maligned and misunderstood section of Scripture. Um, and we'll just read the first verse, which is 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we're going to talk about that for a while before we move on. Uh, all the while remembering that the context for that verse actually begins in verse 18, when it says, be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're going to talk about marriage today. And I'm going to give you the biblical perspective on it. That at times is going to sound just downright radical to you. Because our beliefs concerning marriage and the role of the husband and the role of the wife have been so heavily influenced by the world and by our culture and society that sometimes it's unrecognizable. When I began in the ministry, there were certain things you could take for granted. When I began doing weddings, and I've done an awful lot of weddings, and that was that at that point, nobody was living together. And if they were, the parents were livid. And by the time I retired, it was the standard procedure, and the parents didn't care. And that was over a time of 40 years. Further, I went through years where I had to argue with brides because they wanted no part of the word of they in the vows. That was just against everything they believed. They had heard from the world. So we're going to talk about marriage today from the Christian standpoint and from the standpoint of this passage. Now, um, first, we're going to talk about the word submit. Now, the word submit is... Uh, a Greek word that's used in a number of places in the scriptures. It is at the at the base subordination. Now that word immediately brings up 
thoughts that the one you're subordinate to means you're inferior, means that you are oppressed, means that you're a victim. That is not what this word means when it is used in the Scriptures in any way, shape, or form. To give you an example, it says very clearly in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus submitted to his parents. So rule number one, it can't be bad if Jesus did it. Okay? Can't be bad if Jesus did it. He submitted to his parents. The word submission does not allow for an interpretation of mutual submission. It is submission to one who is above you. But it does not imply that the one above you is better than you are. We are simply talking about what God has established in this world. So let me say this sentence, and I want you to think about it. The whole plan, the whole order of creation, is to have those in positions and others are subordinate, submitting to them. And it is not God's way of punishing. The whole system of subordination is the way that God gives you blessings. Now, let me say that again. The whole system of subordination is God's plan to give you blessings. Now, notice how it says, so that's the basis of the word submission. But notice how it says, out of reverence for Christ. The word is fear. It is not reverence. Now, to understand that word, we need to go back, and you can remember your catechism days, if you can remember them. Every one of the commandments begins, Luther's meaning, we should fear and love God. Because it is both. It is both. You fear God's punishment and you love God's grace. You fear his punishment, you love his forgiveness. Obedience to God includes both. How many times have we talked about how God always deals with us 
through the law and the gospel. And that's throughout our lives. So we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we talked about the fact that submission cannot be a mutual thing. It is one above the other. So when it's talking about submitting to one another, it's saying this. Those who are in the higher position need to act in a certain way, and those that are in the lower position needs to act in a certain way. We're going to talk about what that way is. The final opening statement that I want to make is, after reading this passage, what you come to realize is marriage in and of itself, when lived God's way, proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. Marriage, when two people, a man and a woman, live out what's being talked about here, as God planned it, it proclaims the gospel. The gospel. So, with those op opening thoughts in mind, let's begin looking at verse 22. Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. The word submit is not in there. It's assumed from the verb, from the word, uh, the verse before. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We're just going to read a little bit, and then we're going to put it all together. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay. Now, what we have here is a focus first and foremost on Christ and the church. Because the relationship between Christ and the church is to be the, the, the uh, relationship between a husband and a wife. The same relationship. So, Christ came to this world and he gave himself for his bride, the church. 
In other words, he gave all he had. He died on the cross of Calvary. He shed the very blood in his veins. He gave his all for his bride, the church. Now, self-sacrificing love. Why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is clearly baptism. And we get here the basis of baptism. Baptism is the, op, uh, the uh, application of water with the word of God in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is holy baptism. That is what cleanses us. And that is what sanctifies us as children of God, as the church, his bride. For what purpose? So that he might present the church to himself. You see, before, the people of this world were totally unacceptable to God. This is to present them to him, noticed without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now, this is a description of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was without spot or blemish because he was sinless. So now, his atoning work has made us the same. Now, we're not perfect yet, but we will be presented to God without spot or wrinkle because all our sins are forgiven. In the Old Testament, you could not bring an animal to the priest that had a defect. They had to be without spot or blemish. Not only was Christ without blemish, but now his bride is holy and without blemish. So Jesus Christ does all of this for his bride, the church. Notice that what he does is in love. Okay? That's his motivation for doing this. Wives, then, are to submit to their husbands. Now, let's then translate this to the marriage relationship. And I'll tell you right now, guys, the onus is on us. If somebody's going to mess this up, it's going to be us. 
because what you're being told is just as Christ is the head of the church, so the husband is the head of the family, the wife. Now, this headship is based on love. In other words, the husband is to love the, uh, the, his wife just as Christ loved the church. This is a self-sacrificing love. The wife needs to know that the husband would literally give his life for his wife. It is a love that is willing to put up with not only sacrifice, but trouble, travail, hardship, to do the best for the wife in all circumstances. In other words, the wife comes first, and the husband's being is to take care of his wife as Christ did the church. That's a tall order. That's a tall order. Uh, there's the old joke that says, you know why Jesus never got married? Because if he had, at least one person would have been telling him he ain't perfect. So, that's the way the husband treats the wife, as Christ treated the church. Now, never in the whole Bible does it say wives love your husbands. It says husbands love your wives. If the husband will love the wife like Christ loved the church, she will love him back. That's the order that God created. So, husbands would come to me and say, okay, pastor, my wife is not being submissive or subject to me. Now, what is the husband's tendency when that is happening? To exercise his authority in a threatening, hostile, coercive, style. You know, pastor, she nags me. You know, pastor, she doesn't like the decisions I make. She doesn't like some of the things I do. And you know what? Neither did the people like Jesus. And what he said and what he did 
and they were all over his case. And what did he do? He loved them, and he died for them. To change them not on the basis of threats, but out of love. And so the husbands couldn't understand when they said, okay, pastor, they're not submitting. She's not submitting. And I said, then this is your fault and you need to love her more. Show their love to her more. So, the role of the husband. The role of the wife, what is the role of being submissive? It does not mean the wife is inferior. It does not mean that the husband is smarter or it doesn't mean any of that. It means it's God's order. The two people are still living in marriage in love. But why does that then the wife is to be submissive to her husband? Notice it says, as to the Lord. A wife being submissive to her husband is like the church being submissive to Christ. So we are the church. We would never think to usurp Christ's authority. We would never think to doubt or put aside his headship that he is the head of the church, he is the Savior. We are subject to him because of all he has done for us. He has literally loved us to death. And so when a wife is submissive to her husband, well, let's go a little farther. What the church does when it's submissive to Christ is simply say, okay, we trust you. We trust you. We're going to entrust our lives to you, Lord Jesus. You're our only hope. And God has sent you. And so we translate that to the human. Um, relationship of marriage. Wives then entrust themselves to their husbands. Why? Because they know they love them to death. Because they know they're going to do the very best for them. 
because they know they're willing to sacrifice for them. They know that they're not going to make any decisions that would hurt the wife. Always looking out for her welfare, for what she needs. The task of those in authority, be it Christ, a husband, parents over children, the task of the person is to see to it that those that are subject to them are cared for, comforted, and loved. And the task of those that are submitting to those above them is to entrust them, entrust themselves to them, entrust themselves to them and love them for all they're doing for them. That's what's being talked about here. That's what's being talked about here. That is totally foreign from the world. When a wife is submissive to her husband, she is being submissive to the Lord Jesus, just like the church is. Her being subject to her husband is her being subject to Christ, because this is the order that Christ has made. This is the order that Christ has made. So, is love involved? Yes. Now, let's talk about the word obedience. Notice that Paul does not say, wives, obey your husbands. Obedience is a result of being subject to them. And notice if you just use the word obedience, it's a law word. It's a law word. The word submission is actually a gospel word because of the good that's being shown to us in Christ. We are subject to him out of love. There's two ways to be obedient, okay? You can tell your child, go clean your room or I'm going to kill you. That usually works, but it's all law. The other way is when the child comes to mom and says, I clean my room, mom, for you, because I love you. That's radical. Anybody ever have that happen? That's what we're talking about here. The submission is not out of law. 
out of love in the gospel. Okay? That's why Paul uses the word being subject to and not obedience because he's trying to emphasize the gospel relationship. Now, I want to go back for a few minutes and talk again about the role of the husband because it's very important. Christ is without a doubt the spiritual head of the church. That means the husband needs to be the spiritual head of the household. And it's of critical importance. There have been studies done, and the odds of children going to church the rest of their lives when uh, they only were taken to church by their mother is very small. When they saw their father and their mother taking them to church, that number jumps exponentially. The father's spiritual influence is critical. A husband's first and foremost duty is to be the spiritual head of the household. Because just as Christ wants to do all this for the church, the husband's highest goal is that his wife goes to heaven, that she believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he does everything to encourage her to see that she receives the word and the sacrament and that she will inherit eternal life. She, he's not her savior, but he can sure influence her as the head, the spiritual head of the household. When a father neglects that duty, then he is not being the kind of husband that's being described here. He may love his life to death, but he's leaving out an essential that will affect not only his wife, but also his children. Okay? Now let's look at the rest of the passages, and I want to stop in plenty of time so you can ask questions. All right, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, we dealt with that. Look at 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, this is going to the whole issue of oneness. You are one in body. You are one person. So, 
when a husband loves his wife, he's loving himself because they're the same. One person. Okay? One person. That's what matters. For no one ever hated his own flesh. So how can you hate your wife if you're one with her? Okay? If you're one with her. But nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. You nourish and cherish your own body. That's what Christ is doing. Christ is the head. His body is the church. He nourishes and cherishes it, continues to love it, provides for his nourishment through word and sacraments, so stays strong. So you nourish uh, the church because we are members of his body. He is the head, but we are members. In the marriage relationship, there is one body. Therefore, a man shall live, uh, leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Shall leave his father and mother, and the word is cleave to his wife. I used to use that phrase in confirmation class. No cleaving before leaving. Okay? That's the strongest verse there is against living together. No cleaving before leaving. You see, a, a, a young lady is a member of her father's household, and a young man is a member of his father's household until they begin a new household. And that is at the time of marriage. They are not to set up a new household until they are married. This is emphasizing the oneness again. The two will become one flesh. Okay? Then it says, this mystery is profound. It's actually the word great. This mystery is great. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, Paul is putting the emphasis here that this passage that he's just described, he's just talked about, is more about Christ and the church than husbands and wives. But if you follow the example of Christ and the church, then it works with husbands and wives. And a proper relationship between a husband and a wife proclaims the gospel. Because when a husband loves his wife like Christ loved the church and other people see this, it proclaims the love that Christ has for the church. When the wife is subject to her husband, it proclaims the same relationship that the church has with Christ. And so... It is a mystery. It is beyond our comprehension. In other words, the pattern for marriage 
is Christ and the church. And that's interesting because God created marriage before he sent Christ, which means from the beginning, marriage was already to proclaim God's love that he would show to the church. And that's why in the Old Testament, he constantly talks about himself as the bridegroom and Israel as the bride. And when she goes after other gods, he talks about it as both idolatry and adultery because it's described under the banner of the marriage relationship. So, this is Christ and the church. Last verse. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay. This kind of thought pattern continues even in the next verses. Notice, children, obey your parents. Actually, it's heed your parents and the Lord, for this is right. When parents, uh, when children uh, heed the words of their parents, it is like a wife being subject to husband and the church being subject to Christ. Notice, parents are a blessing to children. A husband is to be a blessing to a wife. And the church is to be uh, blessed by Christ himself. I told you at the start, God's order of creation through this being subject to those above you ends in your blessings and God giving you blessings through these relationships. And it's like being subject to the Lord. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with the promise that it may go well with you and then you may live long in the land. If you do what your parents say, you're probably going to live longer. It's a real simple principle. Okay. But now, notice the next verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not exercise their authority when they anger their children. And you probably know examples of that. I know examples of that, where fathers are so hard on their children, their children are angry and rebel against their fathers. Is that the way Christ treated No. Even discipline is to be done in love. So this carries over all the way, and, and uh, I want to stop there because I want to leave you time to ask questions, and we'll pick up there next week. But notice that Paul is carrying through this argument uh, of submitting out of love 
uh, even to children and parents, and then he'll extend it even to slaves and, and masters. So it's, it's clear. All right, I've done all the talking, and now it's your turn. Yeah, Steve. Okay, he said they never had their uh they never had a husband and wife never had to to uh they did things together. Okay? And that's usually the way it goes. There are always the issues where the husband wants to do one thing and the wife wants to do thinks they ought to do the other. In that case, where there's a total impasse, this passage would imply you need to do what the husband does. Yeah, well, that's not this model either, Steve. But it's peace. There are... How many things in a marriage are actually worth arguing over? Are you going to stake your claim to the death on certain issues? No. So only at that time when there's a total impasse. Now, I always used to tell the couple there's two things that should never be said. The wife should never tell her husband, I told you so. And the, the, the husband should never say to the wife, my mother never did it that way. Okay? Those are the two killers. All right, other comments, questions? Uh, Ruth and then Don. Right. Yeah. So, and uh, what would happen, what would happen invariably is when these young ladies would come in, they had been so affected by what the world says, and they don't realize that the words used in the Bible, as they're used, are not the same as the world uses them. The world uses the word submission or subject as a law and a sign of inferiority, oppression. That's never the case the way the word is used in the Bible because it's love. And it doesn't imply inferiority it implies the way God wants to give you blessings. And once they came to understand that, they had no problem. They had no problem. I never had to omit the word. I never had to omit the word. It's the only way. Yeah, it. it when you get into human language, uh, it's the only way to to represent it in some ways. It's it's not the best. It's not the best. 
wives, will you submit to your husbands as to the Lord would have been better? Yeah. Yeah. All right, then done. Yes. His question is, when the wife makes more money than the husband, does it lead to problems? And I would say, yes. And I have seen that occur. Um, it, it can lead to problems unless the man is pretty secure and, and knows what God says. But that can lead. Money can always be problems in a marriage. You know, if you go back 20, 30 years, the big problem that separated marriages was sex. Now it's money, money, money. I always had the couples do a budget and show me their budget in premarital counseling. Why? Because they'd come up with these budgets. They were only out of whack $600 a month. You know, well, where are you going to get that? Well, we don't know. We'll live on love, you know, that stuff. And, and what it is, it's a disaster. So you got to bring them back to reality. But money is the biggest problem in marriages today. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you got married and you didn't have anything. There are couples that certainly do that. But as you ought to keep, but if you keep the marriage in proper perspective of what is supposed to happen, according to this, it'll work. It'll work. It is when you begin to go outside this model that there is more conflict. There is more conflict. All right, we got time. Anything else? Yes. Oh, yes. It's, it's very much emphasizing that once, you know, uh, God says to a young man and a young woman, you can marry anybody you want to in this world. Your choice. But once you pick, I'm holding you to it. That's the emphasis in that passage. Once you've chosen and once you're married, that's the way it is for the rest of your life. That's the way it is. So it's emphasizing your own. And it's to be only one because just like God and Israel, they were to have no other gods. They should not pick and choose God or nothing. Well, uh, you don't pick the right person, okay? God does, okay? Yeah, you're blessed, okay? All right, so that's the biblical view of this passage, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise, especially this world, because they're missing the boat. They're missing the blessings. They're missing the joy. They're missing the love that you can have when you do it God's way.
All right. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.